0: great to be back uh, with you guys once again. Uh, for those of you who I don't know, uh, here's a photo of my wife and, and my kids. Here they are. Woo! How nice. Thank you for that woo. <laughs> so I thought I'd just begin by telling you a funny story about our eldest daughter, Esther. Now, when she was only four years old, I sat her down and told her the big news, that as a family, we were moving house. And there then followed a hilarious conversation. Esther asked me an excellent question. She said, Daddy, when we move house, we'll have new neighbors, won't we? I said, yes, Esther, we will. She said, Daddy, they won't like you. I said, why? Esther, why won't they like me? She said, well, you've got no hair. Yeah, but anyway, I mean, Esther was only four years old, and so to be fair to her, she could never have imagined how popular I would go on to become uh, with our new neighbors. And then, remember, she was only four. Out of the blue, she asked me another question that in her mind was somehow connected, although it seemed like a different subject. She said, Daddy, what's God like? And I then told her The story that we were just singing about a moment ago. I told her the story, the most famous story Jesus ever told of the prodigal son. And I said, how if we turn around and head home, that even if we wandered away from God, even if we're far away, if we only turn around and head home, that God will run to us. That according to Jesus, he'll throw his arms around us and give us a massive hug. And I told us at the climax of Jesus' most famous ever story, there's a massive hug for you that God the Father loves you unconditionally. And the Bible's message is that God is a loving Father who made us, who made you, in the hope of having A wonderful relationship with you. This is a relationship that's so good. It's not just good for this life, but it goes on into the next, into a place where every day will be better than the one before. A place where you'll never be bored. A place where you'll be filled and thrilled to the max. And if you're not sure, if you're not sure that you have got that relationship with God, then I'd love to give you an easy opportunity to begin that relationship afresh this morning. So if you don't know for sure, for example, if you don't know for sure that if, perish the thought, you were to die tonight, you don't know for sure that you go to heaven, you'd say, well, I hope so. Hey, if you're hoping so, there's really good news for you. You can know so before you walk out those two doors this morning. Why? Because even though none of us are good enough, For God, Jesus Christ is good enough. And if he is good enough, and because he's good enough, if you put your trust in him, you put your hand in his hand, he will do all the work. In fact, he's already done all the work for you. And so you can be sure. That's fantastic news. So at the end of this message, it's very simple. I'll just invite the guys to come back. We'll sing one song. At the end of that song, I'll pray a really short prayer. A prayer that says yes to God. If you want to make that prayer your prayer, then while everybody's eyes are closed, I'll ask you to raise your hand. And then if you have raised your hand, I'll invite you to come and stand here at the front because we'd love to pray for you. We'd love to encourage you so that your response this morning really does have the best possible positive impact on your life. We'd like to stand with you and encourage you and strengthen you as you go on your way. So all that to look forward to. Uh, in just a few moments. Okay, for the next few minutes, guys, we're going to look at what happened when Jesus met someone who had spent years chasing happiness. This lady is a little bit like the prodigal son. It seems like she'd been chasing happiness, but she'd almost given up hope of ever finding it. This is a woman who'd be, she'd been looking for approval and significance. Now, by speaking to a Samaritan, Jesus ignores a wall of hatred that divided Jews from Samaritans for 400 years. By speaking to a woman, Jesus cuts right through Middle Eastern social protocol. So she's shocked. A Jewish man's talking to me. Jesus has crossed a racial divide, a religious divide, and a gender divide to show this woman radical acceptance. And Jesus was always getting into trouble for doing this sort of thing. You see, Jesus doesn't mind what class you are. Jesus doesn't mind what race you are. Jesus was always going to the parties of the wrong people. And as we'll see later, this woman was also a moral outsider. She was being shunned by her own community, which is probably why she went out to draw water at a time where there wouldn't be anybody around to criticize her. Now it is typical of Jesus that here he deliberately goes out of his way to show love to someone who may have thought that they weren't good enough for God. Well, let me see if I can explain what I mean. Um, I don't know if you ever watched the TV show Dragons Den. Well, anyway, just in case there's somebody here who's never ever seen Dragons Den, I'll just explain the format. The format is that there are five mega rich wealthy investors. These people are so rich that they actually have wads of cash just lying on the table in front of them. And they're, they're lounging, these are the dragons. They're lounging in their chairs, deciding what they'll do with all their money. And then sometimes you'll find that a, a sort of nervous, timid-looking entrepreneur will come into the dragon's den, and then sometimes hesitantly they'll pitch their business idea. Yeah. I and mean, then sadly, what often happens is that one by one, the dragons find fault either with the person or with their business idea, or both. And then they'll have like a, a withering analysis of why this person's bound to fail. And they'll finish up their analysis and saying, and for that reason, I'm out. And then the next dragon will say, yeah, well, you're a nice enough person, but I just don't think you've got what it takes. And so for that reason, I'm out. And i will like, yeah, well, I can't just be giving my money away. I'm not sure you've done your sums, and I don't think you've really... I'm not sure you're going to cut it in the business world. And so for that reason, I'm out. And it's almost as if, folks, that when Jesus meets this woman, it's almost as if Jesus says, do you know what? For the very reason that everybody else has said, you're out, for that reason, I'm in. For the very reason that everybody else has rejected you, for that reason, I accept you. I'm going to stop and talk to you. This morning... Jesus is in. Now, notice this lady, she didn't go to the well in order to meet Jesus. She wasn't on a religious search, as far as we know. In the same way as it happens, I wasn't looking to meet Jesus. I wasn't on a spiritual search. In fact, I didn't go to church. In fact, I didn't even have any friends who went to church. But then I met a large group of Christians who had a sense of happiness that wasn't dependent on their circumstances. Now why was that appealing to me? Was it perhaps because I was unhappy at the time? No, looking back I was very happy at the time. What I admired about these Christians that I just met was that they had a sense of peace that wasn't dependent on their circumstances. And I remember the first time I ever read a bit of the New Testament. It was in the back of a red Volkswagen car. And I read the words of Jesus, only for about 10 minutes. But I did, even as I was reading this bit of the New Testament, I did feel this sense of joy, unexpected sense of joy. Nothing to do with my circumstances. It was all to do with the person of Christ, whose words I was reading. Hey, The attractive thing in Christianity is a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And this morning, he's stopping to talk to you. So like me, This woman wasn't looking for Jesus, but Jesus came into her life unexpectedly and unannounced. And Jesus just values her as a woman, as a woman made in the image of God. We ask, does Jesus value me? The answer is a massive yes. And it's not a case of mistaken identity. Hey, Let's think about the people in the Bible who God chose to show his love to. Let's think about the people who God went out of his way to show his love to. Think about some of these folks. Noah was a drunkard. Jacob was a liar. Moses was a murderer. Elijah gave up on God. Gideon doubted God. Jonah ran away from God. David was a liar a murderer and an adulterer. Thomas doubted Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. Saul of Tarsus tracked down and murdered the followers of Jesus. Martha was a warrior and Lazarus was dead. (laughs) But God poured his love on all of these people. So So, I think I qualify. I think you qualify. It's not a case of mistaken identity. This is the most amazing thing about you. That knowing all the best that there is to know about you, and all the best that there is to know about me, and God knowing all the worst that there is to know about you, and God knowing all the worst that there is to know about me, He's in. He's in. He loves you. And in fact, we're going to see that Jesus actually already knows all that there is to know about this woman, even though he hasn't met her before. This isn't a case of mistaken identity. Jesus wants you. He's for you. He's not against you. And so he's drawing you to himself, a bit like this woman is being drawn to Christ. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again? He means that Until we come to Jesus, there will always be this faint sense of searching, striving, longing. We're kind of looking forward to the next thing. And can I just give you one amusing example of this in my own life? Now, what I'm going to say next, folks, will be hard for some of you to take in. But I'd like you to know that when I was growing up here in England, every four years when the football World Cup came around, people here in England genuinely thought that England would win the World Cup. Hard to conceive of now, I know. But, okay, yeah, deep down in our hearts, we all knew, no, we're not going to win the World Cup. We are going to be knocked out on penalties. But, in the year 1990 Come on. when I was 22 years old when England managed to get to the quarter final of the World Cup, this was Italian 90 I can tell you, as we were all packed in that night, shoulder to shoulder watching the game on the big screen in the final minute of the match, England v Belgium at the scores at 0-0 when David Platt of Aston Villa swiveled To volley the ball into the net for the winning goal. At that moment, as the ball crossed the line, as the ball hit the back of the net, at that moment, I kissed people. (laughs) That I'd never met. In fact, even if you were Belgian, I would have kissed you. In my life, I've had amazing highs, amazing moments, amazing experiences, fantastic opportunities. But I've found that they don't last. They're a bit like a drink, that, yes, it does quench your thirst for a while, and it's great for a while. But hey, I'm here to tell you this morning this living water. Oh It's good. Yes, it's good. It's better by far. (laughs) Folks, the brilliant thing about this woman is that by the end of the conversation, she has realized that the reason why she's still thirsty and not satisfied is because she's been separated from God. Jesus, this morning, is offering us something that's so much better than well water. It turns out that you and I have been too easily pleased. It turns out that God is more committed to your happiness than you are. So Jesus says here, hey, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. In other words, lady, if you knew that right now we're famous, this conversation, they're going to repeat it in Birmingham, in the year 2016. If you knew that right now we're in the Bible, if you knew that I am Jesus, the Son of God, then at this point in the conversation, you'd probably say something like, oh, wow, Jesus, you're the Son of God. Can I have your eternal life, please? And I'd say, yes, that's the whole reason I came to the planet. I was in heaven, but I came to the planet to give you eternal life. But at this stage, she's not yet understandably understood the symbolism. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Listen to Jesus' reply. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands. The man who you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. What? So Jesus suddenly changes the subject and he gets personal. He says, go, call your husband. Now, why say that? I mean, why change the subject? Folks, Jesus didn't change the subject. Jesus is staying on the same subject. You see, she's been saying, oh, no, no, I'm not spiritually thirsty. That's not my problem. Jesus is kind of saying, right, so... What does the fact that you've had five husbands tell you about you? You you don't think that you're spiritually thirsty, but actually, Jesus is hinting, you deeply thirst for acceptance, for significance, for God. It's just that you don't recognize your thirst for what it actually is. You have been drinking at the fountain of male approval, but now you're fed up with it, aren't you? Because each time you got married, you thought, oh, wow. This bloke, he's going to make me happy. Not like the other guys, he's going to make me happy. But each time, you've been disappointed. And so after five disappointments, Jesus is saying, you've lost your spark. Can I ask you this morning, have you lost your spark? Somewhere along life's journey, Jesus is hinting to this woman, hey, the light that once burned bright in you has now become dimmed by bitter experience. Jesus is hinting, hey, these husbands, they've been like pseudo-saviors for you. They didn't deliver. They didn't last. In fact, they didn't even stay. This latest bloke, the bloke you're with right now, what do we know about him? He makes you come out and haul water for him in the heat of the day. He's a false master too. And in just the same way, somebody might be sitting here this morning saying, and you're thinking in your heart, yeah, I mean... I wish I could have faith. But you don't have to create faith. The good news is you have already got more than enough faith. All you need to do is to transfer your hopes from where they currently are to Christ. You've already got more than enough faith. Because there is somewhere that we are all going right now where we're drinking deep. We're all human. There's somewhere that you and I, we're going right now for that spiritual deep love. We're all human. Now, yeah, okay, in her case, it happens to be men. Look, in our case, it could be being accepted by that particular group of people. It could be our status. It could be our friends. It could be our money, our home, our appearance. But the good news is Jesus comes to you this morning and says, hey, I've got living water Drink from me. If you drink from me, you'll never thirst again. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. So this is a massive moment. I mean, the way that Jesus gently helps this woman is so impressive. First, he shows you where you've currently got your hopes. He shows you what your pseudo-saviors and your false masters currently are, and then he brings the whole conversation around until eventually he can say, hey, here's the living water. I'm the Jewish Messiah. I'm the one. I'm him. I'm the one who 322 Old Testament prophecies, all of which were written down at least 400 years before I was even born, all of them... Are gonna come true in me. I'm Him. I'm the Messiah. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards Him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So now she's free. Now you can't keep her down. She's bouncing around the town. It's fantastic. She's got a new source, a new joy. She's experienced this radical acceptance. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they urged him to stay with them. He stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. So what makes Jesus the savior of the world? Well, he's the saviour of the world because he saves us from ourselves. He saves us from our pseudo-saviors and our false masters. He saves us from our tendency to make idols out of people and things. He saves us from the places where we've currently got our hopes. He saves us from those times when we put other things first in our life ahead of God. And, of course, he went on to become the saviour of the world when he died. Yeah. On the cross. Now, why is that always considered to be such a big deal? That's a really good question. You know, the, let me just tell you about a hilarious thing that happened. This is one of the funniest things that's ever happened to me. It was on my first day in church paid work. I've been in a different career entirely, gave it all up, started working for a church. First day, they sent me to take a double period of A level general studies at a very plush, posh, public school. And as I walk into this classroom, there are 17, very bright, 17-year-old boys. They're sitting in a sort of horseshoe shape. And we actually start discussing this question. We discuss, are there any crimes, I ask them, are there any sins, in your opinion, that are so serious and so bad, that those people who commit that sin should never get to go to heaven when they die. Oh, yeah, they said, oh, yeah. I said, like what? They said, well, like murder. They said, murderers should never get to go to heaven when they die. I said, right, okay, I said. I said, what about down the other end of the spectrum? I said, are there any sins that actually are going to turn out to be no big deal? These are sins that God will kind of sweep under the carpet, sins that God's not too fussed about. Oh, yeah, they said, oh, yeah. I said, like what? They said, well, like mild, mild shoplifting. I said, what, as opposed to sort of hardcore, habitual shoplifting? They said, yeah, God's not too fussed about mild shoplifting. I said, oh, all right. Um, any other sins that God doesn't mind about? They said, oh, yeah, they said, oh, yeah. I said, like, what, like, lying? God's not too fussed about lying? I said, guys, we are really making some progress. In the first five minutes of our A-level general studies, you have established that at one end of the spectrum, murderers Will never get to go to heaven when they die. But at the other end of the spectrum, you've established that mild shoplifting and lying are okay. I said, guys, somewhere between these two extremes, there must be a cutoff point sin whereby you can mild shoplift all you want down this end of the spectrum. But the moment you commit this cutoff point sin, you don't get to go to heaven when you die. I said, guys, What is that cutoff point sin? And one boy rose to his feet. And I said, What is that cutoff point sin? And he said, Serious fraud. (laughs) I never forget the way he said, Serious fraud. And of course, the moment he said it, everyone in the classroom burst out laughing. Because in that moment, we all realized how ridiculous we were being as we. As we, in our wisdom, we decided what God's cut-off point should be. We laughed because we thought, you know what? We would probably need God to tell us what God's cut-off point is. Actually, in the Bible, God has told us what his cut-off point is. That all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That we're all cut off. And that's the reality that I guess I'm facing. There are loads of times in my life, either in terms of my words, my deeds, my thoughts... I mean, the God who really exists knows all about all the times when I actually knew what the right thing to do was, but I didn't do it. All the times that I've taken the gifts of food, fun, friends, and falling in love, I've just taken those gifts for granted, and I've just kind of eased God, the gift giver, to the margins of my life. And the Bible says the result of sin is death. I mean, that does stand to reason. The Bible says about heaven... In the book of Revelation, it says nothing impure will ever enter it. Well, I'm afraid that counts me out, folks. I'm not perfect enough for a perfect, I would pollute a perfect heaven. So if I can't have eternal life, I'm facing eternal death. The Bible says that the punishment or the penalty for sin is death. That's what we're facing. Now, of course, it's quite hard to imagine what it would feel like to face the death penalty in this life. There's a few places in the world where you could face the death penalty. There are a few states in the US where you can face the death penalty. Let's imagine, just for the sake of this illustration, that I committed a crime. I mean, clearly, I would like to think that I wouldn't do this. But let's just say, for the sake of the illustration, let's imagine I'm in Florida, and I do something which I'm facing the death penalty for. I spend a year waiting for trial to come round. Eventually, I arrive in the courthouse, I'm wearing the orange jumpsuit. I've got my wrists tied together, handcuffed. I've got my ankles shackled. I shuffle into the courtroom and I'm standing there. And then the prosecution produces a video that clearly shows that I'm guilty as charged. The evidence is overwhelming. And all that remains is for the judge to pass the sentence of death by lethal injection on me. And as I'm standing there in the dock, how would you feel if you were in this situation? Imagine at that moment that there's a disturbance at the back of the courtroom. And a stranger pushes his way up in, and he walks all the way up the aisle here. And he comes all the way up to where you're standing in the dock. And imagine this stranger pushes you out of the way. So that now you're standing here on the courtroom floor, and you're looking on at this complete stranger. Now, how would you feel if this was you? If to the astonishment of all your relatives who are in the gallery, all the TV reporters, all the press who are reporting the case, how would you feel if the judge proceeds to pass the sentence of death upon the stranger rather than on you? Well, there are gasps. Nobody can imagine. What's happening? Clerk of court bangs his gavel on the desk, says, all rise. The judge heads out of the courtroom. And then the guards come to you and they take off. The handcuffs. They take off the shackles. They take off the orange jumpsuit. They put the orange jumpsuit on the stranger. They shackle his ankles. They handcuff his wrists. And they lead him off to the van, to the wagon, to death row. And as he's passing you, of course, you grab his arm. And you say, I've got to stop you. I can't just let you go off to death row on my account. Why? You say, why on earth would you choose to give up your life? just so that I can be free? I mean, what's in it for you? Why on earth would you choose to swap with me? Why would you give up your life when you don't have to? What's in it for you? Why are you doing this for me? And imagine if he says back to you, well, you see, it's like this. I really do love you. And you think, what? What sort of cheese is that? Who talks like that? Is this Hollywood? Well, you see, I mean, who talks like that? Is this like a, a film? Is this like a a game show? Is this a reality TV show? Everybody else in the courtroom is in on the gag, except me. I mean, this is obviously too good to be true. This doesn't really happen in real life. But still, nobody's hassling you. You walk into the foyer of the courtroom, and there's a TV reporter who runs up to you. And he says, hey, that stranger who just swapped with you, I know who he is. I recognize him straight away. I went to school with him. I can tell you this about him, and you'll be interested to hear this. That guy is the judge's one and only son. Well, now you're in awe of the judge. Imagine a few moments later, the judge leaves his chambers, he crosses the foyer, and you grab his arm, and you say, Your Honor, I've got to stop you. Why on earth would you choose to allow your only son to die in my place? Why would you allow your son to die this horrible death just so that I can go free? What's in it for you? Why are you doing this for me? And imagine if the judge just says back, well, you see, it's like this. I really do love you. And still, you can't really believe it. This sounds too good to be true. And so you wander out of the courtroom. You're a bit confused. You wander along the road for, I don't know, an hour. You've lost track of time. And then a car pulls up with tinted windows. About an hour later, the judge gets out the back of the car. He walks straight towards you. You think, I knew it was too good to be true. He's going to arrest me. These sort of things don't really happen. But instead of arresting you, imagine that this man, this judge, he just gives you a massive hug. And as he's holding you and loving you, that's when the penny drops. That you really are free. And folks, that's just about the best that I can do. To try and explain what was happening on a hill outside Jerusalem in around 33 AD, when God the judge looked down on his one and only son, and as Jesus died, not by lethal injection, but by crucifixion, Jesus was taking upon himself all of the punishment of everyone who would ever believe. That God so loved you. That he gave his only son, so that if you believe in him, if you respond to him in just a few minutes' time when I invite you to raise your hand, if you do that, you won't perish. You will have everlasting life. It's amazing what's on offer. Somehow, when God looked down upon Jesus that day, God treated Jesus as if he had committed all of the sins of everyone who would ever believe. Jesus took the rap for it instead of you. In that illustration, His death guarantees your freedom. That's what Jesus does. He's your substitute. If only you'll say yes and follow him. And these Samaritans have worked out that Jesus was the Savior. They call him the Savior of the world. And if he's not already your Savior, he can be in just a few minutes' time. And it's exciting how our story ends. The woman says to all the townspeople, come and meet him, she says. She goes to the people who previously she's been avoiding. Why does she want to talk to them? She's now got a new identity. She has a new self-image. She doesn't care what they think anymore. She's finally fully satisfied. She's now found a person called Jesus who satisfies her need for approval and significance. She's complete. She's secure emotionally, spiritually in Christ. She's got eternal life because she said yes to Christ when she had the chance. And folks, I finish by saying this, that now you have the same chance that she had. You can say yes to Christ. You can have eternal life if you come to him. And folks, this morning, I finish with this, if you do come to him, God the Father will run to you this morning. He'll throw his arms around you. He'll embrace you. And this morning, before you leave this room, you can be embraced back in the arms of your loving, heavenly Father. Okay. Maybe the band would like to come and join me. Um, As they come up, folks, it's a fact of history that three days after Jesus' burial, his tomb was empty. Jesus later appeared alive to many people. And so because Christ has broken through the barrier of death, you can too, if you put your trust in him. You can have eternal life. So we're going to sing a song by way of response now. As soon as this song has ended, I'll come back. I'll pray a really short prayer. If you want to make that prayer your prayer, then everybody's eyes will be closed. I'll ask you just to raise your hand. If you have raised your hand, I'll invite you to come down here and stand because we'd love to pray with you and encourage you and support you. Everybody will cheer, and we'll have a wonderful end to our time together. Shall we stand and celebrate? Let's sing together, and then we'll pray together. Let's stand, shall we?